is back on track with what is right with God and God's word. And this is the same thing is true with Titus, except instead of a city, Titus has an entire island that he is taking care of. And as we get to this portion in the text, we have already looked over the introduction and how Paul is calling Titus to perform this task, to do this duty in the island of Crete. And then he gives the layout of what Titus is to look for for those who are to lead in the church. And as we finish chapter 1, Paul switches over and he looks at the contrast. In the first section in chapter 1, Paul is laying out what is desired, what is needed to lead a church. And as we finish chapter 1, Paul lays out these are the ones who are leading the church now and they are not qualified to lead the church because of these actions they have taken themselves in. But as we begin chapter 2 here, we see Paul is really laying firm that mission of Titus. Because in chapter 2, we'll see that the quality of teaching that occurs in the church will result in a healthy church. How the church responds to the word of God and how they respect and honor God's word will ultimately reflect how healthy that church is. Biblical truth, and as we'll see tonight, biblical truth is what safeguards the church against error. The truth that comes from God's word is what keeps us in line with what is right according to God. And quite frankly, in our churches, in our lands today, there are many people who champion their opinion over the word of God. In fact, earlier this week, I saw a post on social media where this guy was saying, if I am confronted where I'm either to believe in the Bible or to love my neighbor, I will love my neighbor over what God's word says. And I want you to know that this person who posted this is a self-proclaimed Christian teacher. But he cannot know to love his neighbor except through the word of God because God's word tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. So as a church, if we are to be healthy and striving for what is, brings glory to God, we need to look to the word of God as the sole authority and the final standing point of where we stand in this culture. During the Olympics, the racer Usain Bolt, who is described as the fastest man alive, finished the race in a short amount of time. But what happened was he did not win that race in those few seconds running there, but how he won it was the months and the years and the hours of practice and running and conditioning his body to finish that race. Church, today that is true of us, that we must be in constant preparation in how we prepare ourselves and how we conduct ourselves in day-to-day -day lives that reveals who God is. And that is how we demonstrate to the world and that we are a healthy church according to God's word. And this evening, I want to share with you guys the three marks that identify what a healthy church is. So if you will, read with me in Titus chapter 2, and we'll be reading from verses 1 through 10. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. 
Older men are to be so reminded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, sow integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame. Having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Not pilfering, but sowing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Church, tonight in this text we'll see that the first key, the first mark that identifies what a healthy church is, is what they teach. A healthy church is defined by the sound doctrine they teach. As we see in verse 1, but as for you, Titus, Remember, this is a personal letter. This is not a general letter that goes to an entire church like the epistles of Philippians or Ephesians or Galatians or even Romans. No, this is towards Titus. And Titus is tasked to teach what is sound doctrine. Titus is not tasked to preach what he feels is great. He's not tasked to be faithful in his own opinion. He's tasked to be faithful according to the word of God. You see, church, a church that is healthy has a well-rounded diet of what it teaches. It has this, it's saturated in the truth, and the truth is the word of God. And we see here that Titus, unlike the previous chapter, as we notice what the false teachers in the island of Crete are doing, Titus is tasked with being obedient to the word of God. Titus is tasked to build the healthy church by teaching the truth. Titus is not tasked to build a healthy church by going in with all the glamour and and doing all types of erratic things that entertain people. No, he's tasked with building the church by teaching what accords with sound doctrine. And church, I want you to understand this word for sound, it means healthy. So Titus here is tasked with teaching what is healthy doctrine. Concerning this passage, Warren Wiersbe writes this, what germs are to a physical body, false teaching is to the spiritual body. What Warren Wiersbe was saying about this text is if we are cautious in how we wash our hands and how we handle ourselves physically, we ought to take the same care spiritually. In the field of work I'm in right now, I handle food. Whenever you go use the restroom and you come out, when you're looking at the mirror or even looking at the door, it says employees must wash their hands. It's not a suggestion, it is a command. The same is true of the church. 
Whoever stands and teaches must be well prepared and must understand what God's word says. We cannot have somebody who teaches who not only doesn't understand the grace of God, not only understands the purpose of God, not only understands the word of God, we cannot allow that in our churches. We must have somebody who knows what God's word says, believes it, and lives it out. You must be consistent with what you teach. And this is true of Titus. Titus was not tasked with... Titus, Paul did not say, Titus, you go and you preach, but you don't have to believe everything you preach. That's irresponsible. That's irregardless of what you think. That is dangerous. If you teach or preach, you must stand firm on what you teach or preach. You must be able to defend it. You must be able to believe it and live it out in your very lives. Titus was not to be like the current leaders in the island of Crete. How were the current leaders in the island of Crete? If we would look back at chapter 1 and verses 10 through 16, we see that these leaders were rebels in verse 10, as well as empty talkers, again in verse 10, deceitful, verse 10, they are greedy, as we see in verse 11. In verse 14, that we see that they reject the truth. In verse 15, we see that they are defiled. Verse 16, we see that they deny God. They are detestable. They are disobedient. They are disqualified. You see, Titus is to not be that way. Titus is to turn the church from this type of leadership and look to what is healthy. And we, make, we can ask ourselves, what is healthy? And we can see that in verses 5 through 9 of chapter 1, how leaders are to be above reproach. They are not to be able to have anything that can come against them. They're not supposed to be greedy. But ultimately, a, a good, solid teacher understands the truth, they teach the truth, and they believe the truth. And I want us to understand here tonight that in verse 1 of this chapter, where it says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, that is only the primer that comes through the rest of the passage. They give us an understanding, this mantra task that Titus is to undertake. Do you recall what Jesus said? In John chapter 17, verse 17, he stated, sanctify them in truth. What is truth, church? Your word is truth. This is the task of Titus. He's to teach, he's to sanctify, he's to be part of that helping and use of the Holy Spirit and sanctifying the church with truth. And he does that by teaching the truth which is the word of God. And I want us to understand that Titus, his task was not an anomaly. It wasn't just a one-time ordeal. Rather, this task that Titus has has been throughout the entirety of the church. If you will, turn with me to the book of Jude. Jude is a small book, but it's so impactful in how we understand and read God's word. So in the book of Jude we'll see this same task laid over again. 
Jude, verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all the saints. You see, Jude's task was the same as Titus. The task that Jude sent out to his recipients, those who received his letter, is the same task that Titus has to defend the truth. One translation puts it this way. Dear friends, I've been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I must find I must write about something else, urging you to defend the truth. Church, that is the task of Titus. And we are to undertake that task today. To stand firm on what God's word says. Church, we don't stand on our own opinions. We don't stand on political ideals. We don't stand on anything aside from what has God said. If anything is to be proclaimed in the church, it is to be, thus says the Lord. We don't stand by what somebody says. We stand by what God has said. Because at the end of the day, what God has said is inerrant. Nothing else can be inerrant except for the word of God. And quite frankly, if we want to see the church flourish in our day and in our time, that church, our church, must take great care in defending the truth. We must stand firm on the truth. Quite often we use the answers in Genesis curriculum here in this church. And the fundamental mission of answers in Genesis is defending the creation account. Because if you cannot believe that God created everything in a literal six days, how can we possibly believe that God did exactly what he promised in the coming of Christ as our Savior? Answers in Genesis is firm in defending the faith that has been delivered to us. We must be firm in defending the word of God. Winston Churchill had said that he one time said that men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. We're not to be that way. When we come across truth, we're to uphold it. We're to cherish the truth. Much like Titus was tasked with teaching what accords with sound doctrine, teaching what is true, we are to take up that same mantle. Quite frankly, there is no way to love and follow God without being obedient to his word. This is what marks a healthy church, that they are faithfully defending truth, that what they teach and what they preach is truth, not error, not their opinions, but the truth. And in this like I said, it's a primer because now we'll see the other two marks of what identifies a healthy church. The second mark that we see here that identifies a healthy church is that a healthy church disciples the next generation. 
Notice with me in verses 2 through 8. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train their young women to love their husband and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, so integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may not be put to shame, or may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Church, a church that disciples the next generation is a church that anticipates the thriving of the church after that previous generation goes on to glory. Paul is laying out that, Titus, you teach what is sound doctrine, and this will produce a church that disciples. How do we do this? Paul tells us, older men, those who are mature in the faith, you're to be sober-minded. You're not to allow anything to take your mind and control your mind. Your mind is to be controlled by God. Your mind is to be dictated by what has the word of God said. They're to be dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Both the older women and the older men are to teach what is good. Again, this goes back to verse 1 in this chapter. Teach what accords to sound doctrine. A church must be readily available to teach what is true. For a church that is healthy is defined by what occurs within its congregation. What are the marks of a healthy person? A spiritually healthy person is one who is sober, or as verse 3 says here, are not slaves to much wine. They are dignified, meaning they are worthy of respect in the community. They are sound in faith. They are loving, and they are patient. Church, don't this sound like the fruit of the Spirit? This is what we are to be striving towards, that we reflect the very nature of God. We're not to reflect our old nature, which was labeled as wicked. We are to reflect the very nature of God. A sound church with qualified leaders will instruct its people to live in sanctified lives. This is precisely what this text is teaching. But I want us to understand, it's not necessarily on what the outward shows us that define how a person is. If you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, and we'll be looking at verse 10 through 20. And in this passage, we'll see how Jesus handles true spirituality.
in this passage we see how the Pharisees are more concerned with their traditions than what God's word has said. But in verse 10, it reads, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And Jesus answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Or what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and that defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You see, Christ here is dealing what is true spirituality. What truly reflects and honors Christ. What truly respects and honors God. Because before this, that it's the Pharisees were greatly and grossly offended that the disciples of Christ ate without washing their hands. They were saying, these people are defiled. But what Jesus is saying, it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, it's what comes out of them. You see, the Pharisees, they were a group of religious people who like to dress themselves up. They like to pomp themselves around and go, look how spiritual I am. Church, you can be a great actor. You can fool anybody, but the one person you cannot fool is God. And that is true in how you are to be discipling the next generation. You can fool almost anybody with how you act out in public. But if your heart is not right, it's not in tune, these things are just the cage of what is truly going on in your lives. Mature believers that disciple the next generations are the ones who anticipate that the church will strive after their passing. And in this, we see that a mature church, a church that is healthy, is not one that can be accused by the world. We see that towards the end of of this text that we're reading, having nothing evil to say about us. Paul is not the only one that uses this language. If you will, again, turn with me to uh, 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, we'll be looking at uh, chapter 2 here. Um, verses 11 and 12. And Peter is writing about uh, the lifestyle of believers and how we are alive according to a living stone and how we are called to be a, a holy people, somebody who, people who are set apart for the glory of God. And in verse 11 he writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So here in verse 11, we, we see 
the primary focus of what Peter's writing about. He's urging these readers and us today to abandon fleshly desires, and he's calling us to live according to the word of God. Why does he do this? Because if we are believers, if we are allowing the flesh any control in our lives, it will be an utter fight in our souls. Because it's raging war. The old flesh is raging war against that new flesh which is created by God. That has the spirit indwelling in us. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles or the unbelievers honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Church, the way you respond, the way you act, should be stemming out of what you teach. And what you teach should reflect the very nature you walk yourself. The very way you conduct yourself in day-to-day life is, should match up the same with what you say you believe. Church, you've heard it several times that many people who work in the restaurant on Sunday morning, they hate it because when the church crowd comes, it's miserable for them. The church crowd don't tip us and they leave everything a mess and they abuse us. Church, that is not a lifestyle that reflects the truth. And this is why we need to be discipling the next generation. This is why we're having Awanas to demonstrate that this is what Christian life is. This is what true spirituality, like Christ was talking about. It's not what goes into a person, but it's what comes out that reflects the nature of that person. Are we today reflecting that very nature that the world around us sees Christ in us and through us? This is Paul's argument. This was Peter's argument. And quite frankly, since both biblical authors wrote it, we can say this is God's argument. This is God's challenge for us to live according to the way God has called us to live. Church, that is the goal of our lives. The goal of a healthy church is to live a godly life in a godless culture. We're not to live any way we please, but we're to live under the authority of Christ. We're to live according to what has God's word said. We're to live in a way that what we believe matches up with what Scripture says and by our actions. As we continue and we're working our way through this, We've seen that the first mark of a healthy church is a church that is devoted to sound teaching. We've just finished looking at that the second mark that dignifies a healthy church is one that disciples the next generation. And now this third mark that defines what a healthy church is, it is defined by the attitudes of believers. Notice with me in verses 9 through 10 in our passage this evening. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters. 
and everything there to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not, but sowing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. The church here is reminded once again to live in a way that reflects the very nature of God. Church, we're called Christians. Little Christ, that's what it means. We are to reflect the nature of Christ. We're to be in a way that is obedient to Christ and his word. Again, Titus, his task here in Crete was to build the churches to be healthy, to reflect the nature of Christ. He wasn't to be like those wicked people who were already in leadership in these churches. He used to set the church back on path with what is right, what accords with God and his word. Here we see bond servants, which literally means slave. But as we can look at it today, this, these are the people who are employed. If you are employed, what are we to be like? We're to be submissive to their own masters and everything. Now, this does not mean we just blindly follow those who lead us into sin. But what this means is, if it does not go against God's word, we are to be obedient, we are to work, and we are to do it for the glory of God. Colossians says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. Paul in Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Even in the mundane areas of our lives, we're to do it as if we are working for God. Because at the end of the day, that is who we are working for. In one of my preach in, in my preaching class at Tri-State, I was asked the question: when you stand behind the pulpit, who is your target audience? The answer is God. My aim is to give God glory. And by doing that, we edify the church, we build up the church, and we evangelize the lost. But if we are not doing it for the purpose of God and we're doing it to build our own ego, that only reflects we are only about empire building and not about the kingdom of God. It only reflects we are about ourselves. We are not about Christ. In order to live in a life, we are to be obedient. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 reads this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, these in there, if anything is worthy of praise, think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. In our obedience, we are to seek the glory of Christ. Like I said, we are not to blindly follow these people into whatever sin that comes up. We are to look at the word of God and allow the word of God be our lives, but we must be obedient to our employers. Like I said, this bond servant means slave, so many of these people could likely be slaves to unbelieving masters. And Paul's telling them, 
be obedient to them. Another passage is Paul argues we are to be obedient to the silver leaders. And at the time that he was writing this, Emperor Nero was on the throne. Paul was not arguing, oh, you just forsake Christ and you be obedient to the silver government. No, he's saying you be obedient as far as the word of God allows you. This text lays out how the attitude of believers reflect the natures of God because you're to be obedient, you're to be well-pleasing, you're not to be argumentative, you're not to go in and argue about useless things, you are to be obedient and well-pleasing. As well as you're to be honest, you're not to be, as the text reads, pilfering, which means you're not to be stealing, you're not to take what is not yours, but you are to be honest in your work. That means that if you are sitting down and you're supposed to be working and you're not working, you're busy doing your own thing, you are effectively robbing from those who you work for. You are to be doing diligence by what you are to be doing at that time. You're not to be robbing others. Most of all, you're to be sowing all good faith. You're to be sowing what it means to live a Christian life. You're to demonstrate to the world, I believe in Christ, and because I believe in Christ... I allow his way of living dictate how I live. Church, this lifestyle doesn't necessarily just reflect how Sonny Hills acts. If this is how you're living, it doesn't just reflect how the church here is, but it reflects your very nature and demonstrates to the world that I live according to Christ. We do this to demonstrate that Christ is the ruler of our lives. We are not the rulers of our lives. But Paul says at the end of our text here that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And as I was studying this passage and re-looking over my notes, I realized I really didn't cover that when I first typed this out. So I got to thinking, what is this doctrine of Christ we are to be adorning? And I came to the conclusion that what Paul is saying here, because he's speaking about bondservants in the context, he is thinking of that humility or that humble spirit of Christ. So if you will turn with me to Philippians chapter number 2, will you, real fast. Because we'll see precisely what is going on and how we adorn the nature of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, our Savior. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And get this, in verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Again, we see that word we're, we were just looking at in the context of Titus, a servant, a bondservant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, how? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, for us to adorn the doctrine of Christ, we are to take on this nature of Christ, to be obedient, to be to have that humility spirit in us, to have that humble spirit where we don't think anything of ourselves, but as Paul says, if there's anything I boast, I boast in the cross of Christ. We do this so that nobody can accuse us of sin. Again, looking back at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Do this so that in the eyes of the Gentiles, the unbelievers, that if they bring anything before you, it's useless facts. It, it has no grounding. And do it so that they may glorify God at the day of visitation. These are what we are to be doing. The attitude of the church is fundamental of how the church responds. How you act outside of these four walls reflect what comes out of you. Again, looking back at what Christ said, it's not what goes into a person that defiles him, it what, it's what comes out of you. Your attitude matters. And your attitude, if you are claimed to be a believer, is to be one that reflects the nature of Christ. Again, church, we, we are, though we have a new life, though we are raised from the dead through Christ and his sacrifice and we are a new creature, we still have that old flesh in us. That old flesh that wants to creep up and battle us. And we must claim the Christ. We must lean on Christ for our salvation. We are to lean on Christ for our sanctification. We are to live according to the Spirit. In Galatians, walk by the Spirit. Walk in the fruit of the Spirit. This is what marks a healthy church. One that is living their lives in accord with what God's Word says and reflects that by the way they live. Paul's call to Titus was not just only how Titus was to act and respond. Rather, it's the very essence of what a healthy church is. Quality leaders that teach sound doctrine result in a quality church that loves and cherishes the truth. And in this text, we've seen how the teaching of the truth it just fuels everything else. So as a review, we identified the three marks that demonstrate what a healthy church is in this text. We have noted that a healthy church is marked by the teaching of sound doctrine in verse 1. We've also seen that a healthy church is marked by mature believers discipling the next generation in verses 2 through 8. And lastly, as we just covered, 
we've seen that a healthy church is marked by the attitudes of believers, verses 9 through 10. There's a story of a, a very small town, a town where everybody knew everybody and all that, and there was a court case that was happening, and the defense attorney called his witness to the stand and asked, do you know who I am? And this little old lady said, of course I know who you are. I've known you since you were a little kid. And quite frankly, you're a big disappointment to me. You lie, you steal. Everything you do is contrary to what you say you're going to do. Well, after this bashing from this old lady, the defense attorney didn't know where else to go, so he said, well, do you know the other attorney here? And she said, of course I know him. I've known him since he was a young boy, too. I actually babysat him, and quite frankly, he's a bigger disappointment, too. And she went through a whole list of how this person, though he was raised in the right, right way, did not reflect that raising up. Well, towards after she was done berating this attorney, the judge called both attorneys up and said, in a very hushed but disgruntled voice, if any one of you two ask her if she knows who I am, you will be held in contempt of court. <laughs> Though this is a silly story, we are watched by those around us. How we act should respect and should reflect the very nature of Christ. We should not be alarmed by who watches on us and who looks at us and looks how we live, but we are to live in a way that we have peace because we know we reflect the nature of Christ. So this evening, does your character line up with Christ? Is the way you're living today, is it reflective of the nature of Christ? Do you champion the truth? Or are you living in a way that you champion yourself? That yourself is the primary target of your belief system? May I challenge us today that if we are not living this way, that we turn and live in this way today, that we live in a way that is marked by truth, it's marked by discipleship, and it's marked by our actions in the world. If you will, pray with me this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we thank you.